0: Thank you, Wayne. Say, you think that was true for Abraham, the blood of Jesus? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's the only way you get in, isn't it? Even though he lived before Jesus, time-wise. How did Abraham get saved? He got saved through the sacrifice of Christ upon the cross. You get it clear in your mind. There is no other name under heaven among men whereby we must be saved except the name of Jesus, only the name of Jesus. So in Genesis fifteen six, when the scripture says, and Abraham believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. That was Abraham receiving a righteousness that was bought for him at Calvary by the sacrifice of Christ upon the cross. We believe there's one way to the Father and even the Old Testament, Saints like Abraham only are in the presence of God today because of what Jesus did for all people of all generations when he gave his life upon the cross. That is how people come to know God, have righteousness imputed to them through their faith by what Jesus did. And we ought to cherish that promise. And I want to start right there in Genesis chapter 16 and read a chapter about Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar. Every preacher ought to go see St. Peter's just in case they have a little spark of pride about their facility. I'm telling you, that was something to see there. We were in Rome for a day, and we went to see St. Peter's. Puts things in perspective. Verse 1 says of chapter 16, Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. They just came from Egypt. Pharaoh gave them men servants and maid servants when they left this is probably one of them Hagar so she said to Abram the lord has kept me from having children go sleep with my maid servant perhaps i can build a family through her abram agreed to what sarah Said So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarah took his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. And Sarah said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my servant in your arms. And now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your servant is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarah mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from? And where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now with child and you will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. He will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. you are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Barad. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. God gave him a promise. And you're supposed to cherish God's promise God's promise to Abram and Sarah was not something they earned. It was conferred upon them by the Almighty. I'm going to give you this land and descendants too numerous to mention. The promise was comprehensive. God described it in its completeness. Through you, Abram, all nations of the earth will be blessed. The promise God gave to Abram and Sarah had a creative power like his promise always does. It changed their lives. God made a promise to him. I want to be your God. You be my people. I'll be your friend and I'll take care of you. And multiply your seed and give you the land. And that promise had a creative power in Abram and Sarah. They picked up and moved from the place where they were living. They moved to a new place. They set up a new life and a new lifestyle because of the power of God's creative promise in their life. Just like it's been with you. God delivers his promise to you in Christ Jesus. You receive it with surprise and wonder because God's promise, you don't deserve it. And yet it is conferred upon you. It is complete and comprehensive. It is for this life and the next, this wonderful promise God makes to you. And it has a creative power to change your life once you receive the promise and believe the promise given to you in Christ Jesus. It gives your life a whole new trajectory. Everything's changed. All things have become new. You're a new creation in Christ. That's the power of the promise of God in you. And you're to nurture the promise. And you have it. Now, and you wait for it there was a sense in which God was already conferring upon Abram and Sarai the promise which he made the land was becoming theirs they were accumulating the possessions he had status and a great military victory to look back upon already already God was doing and yet there was to come some other things in the promise. And Sarah began to feel that the promise was delayed. They'd wait in a long time. It'd been 10 years since the angel spoke. When first they received the promise, Abram and Sarah received it with wonder and amazement already Up in years, they thought, God is going to give us a son. What a wonderful promise. And they had received the promise, but now, ten years later, she is older. He is older. And the years are passing and still no son. It felt to her that the promise was delayed, although it was not. It was God's perfect time but she felt it was so. And she allowed the delay to turn into doubt. She got frustrated. What else could possibly explain this wonderful couple Inviting into the intimacy of their lives an Egyptian maid. You be careful, sister, in your waiting. Everybody waits. Everybody waits. It is the common human experience to be waiting. And sometimes the wait is long. And long waiting is supposed to produce in us godliness. That's what Peter says perseverance produces godliness. James says that if you persevere, God matures you in the perseverance. And that's what waiting is supposed to do for us. We're supposed to be growing up in the waiting. It's not supposed to be non-productive time where I just sit here and twiddle my thumbs waiting on God. I'm supposed to be enjoying His presence and His power in my life. And like Joseph in the wait... When I'm in that period of waiting, I'm just making lemonade out of all of life's lemons. I'm looking around and seeing what I can do for God in the meantime. Until the butler says something to the Pharaoh. I'm going to be doing something down here. So pretty soon, Joseph, he's in charge of the prison. He's got to wait two years for the man to remember his promise. Two years in the dungeons of Egypt. What's he doing now? He's busy like you ought to be. If you're waiting on God. Seminary student waiting on God. Wonder when he's going to give me that ministry. We'll do something now. Get busy now. We visited a church in Rome that I'd never heard of before. It's called St. Paul. In chains. All right. Now, St. Paul was locked up, and I want you to think about this fiery evangelist being locked up and put in chains in a prison. Not a happy time for the apostle. I went to this church. Y'all got the picture there? Is it coming up? And they had a box. They're up at the altar with the chains in them. I don't know if Paul wore those chains or not, all right? But he wore some chains. You ever felt like that? Like God had you chained up? God, what are you doing? I got the gospel to preach. I got churches to visit. I got churches to start. I got a short time to do it. I need to be out there in the world getting my job done. And God locks him up. And there he is in chains. What can you do in a prison cell while you wait? Just the most important work that you will ever do is all taking the time word by word line by line to write the letters from prison that will change the world the most lasting work of the apostle paul was what he did in his downtime when they locked him up and he was waiting on god That's how waiting is supposed to be for you. Don't let it turn into frustration and doubt and despair. Something crept into the heart of Sarah. She must have experienced a despair deeper than I can imagine. This beautiful couple, husband and wife, loving each other for all these years. And now to say, go, sleep with Hagar. She says later on, I put her in your arms. I put her in your arms. The word is bosom. Sarah says, I I put Hagar in your bosom. And you wrapped your arms around her. It must have been the lowest point of life for Sarah. It was not an act of worship for her or her husband, this thing that they did. It was not a movement of faith. They were in a position of doubt like some of you are. Some of you students who have never heard before the things you're hearing now in your classes in philosophy and psychology and maybe Bible as well and you come home day after day wondering what's up and what's down. And you question not the little details of life, not the periphery things but the fundamental things, the nature of man, the nature of you your call, your purpose where you are from and where you are going you're asking the fundamental questions and you have a despair even about where the truth might be and can it be attained Don't let your spiritual confusion turn into moral confusion. You got questions. Everybody does. You have doubts. Everybody does. Atheists and agnostics, as well as you. People have doubts. They wonder about their presuppositions. And if you are tormented by doubt, the enemy will bring along a great decision for you to make in your frustration and your confusion. And you seem to be at the bottom spiritually and all of a sudden here's this decision. And you think to yourself when you make the decision, well, this is just a little thing, we'll do this, and it won't be a problem. And the low point, spiritually, you make a decision that takes your life at a right-angle turn. I talk to God sometimes about college students who are living at a time when they often have questions why at that moment of questioning they have to make so many decisions that change their lives forever sometimes it's better to wait on the decision till your head clears and you're steady on your feet i wish i could tell you hey your spiritual life is going to be a straight graph from right down here to right up here. No baubles, no turns, no dips. You're just going to go like this. That's not Abraham's experience, nor mine, nor yours. Life for Abraham and Sarah did come up, and and then it went down. (laughs) Then it gradually built back, and then it went down. You know what life is like, don't you? the ups and downs spiritually. Watch out when you're at the bottom that you don't make decisions that you pay for the rest of your life. When you don't know what's up and what's not down, it's a good time to say, whoa. Let's wait a minute. See, Sarah got at a low point in life Not sure she could trust God. Not sure the promise was going to come to pass. And she made a decision that changed her life and Abram's life and the lives of their family forever. Don't turn spiritual confusion into moral confusion in your life. Hold on to what you know even when it feels dark to what you've learned and walk through the difficult time trusting that God's going to bring you into the light and into the peace again because he will. Preserve The sanctity of your marriage. Coach Monty Williams spoke to us yesterday. How many of you were there? We had 200 men yesterday morning for a great breakfast. And that coach, he brought the word to us, didn't he, men? He quoted God's word over and over again. He said, I hadn't got time to mess around, he said. He has five children and a wife to whom he's been faithful and they have written a book of devotions for every day of the year for God's people so that they can remain true to the promises they have made. God's promise to Abram and Sarah is embedded in their marriage. When Jesus was asked about this, this, he said, from the beginning." It was one man, one woman. That's what God intended. You leave your father and mother, you cleave to your wife, and the two of you become one flesh. I don't believe polygamy was ever the will or purpose of God. I believe it was always to be one man, one woman. Together, sharing life. Now, God did not bring about his promise through Sarah's plan. He brought his promise about through the marriage. Sarah was as essential to the covenant of promise God made to Abraham as was Abraham. They, too, were going to have a son, and they understood that. They just got confused about it. That's why they waited 10 years. They understood, okay, God's going to give us a son. God respected their marriage more than they did. Think about it. God brought about the blessing to the nations through that marriage between Abram and Sarah. Now, there are obviously other ways to live your life. Maybe you're single and saying, well, can the purpose of God come about in me? Well, let's try to think of a couple singles in history who did God's will and purpose. How about Jesus and Paul? (laughs) Hallelujah, singles, you got a great opportunity to serve the Lord and his purpose all the days of your life. You don't have to be married to do that. Jesus didn't have to find a wife. To fulfill God's purpose on the planet. So we affirm you and we're grateful for you and we know God works in your life and we're thankful for all He does in you. But whether you're single or married, you respect the covenant represented by the ring. We put it on and we wear it to announce to the world we're in a covenant. I wish Sarah had remembered, and Abram too. You know, men, Sarah got weak and suggested something that was just foolish, all right? She not only lost her faith, she lost her mind. you going to do what, sister? And you think that's going to work? You think that's going to work? No, that's not going to work. You protect and preserve and recognize the sacredness of the vow. And listen, you trust God when your plans unravel because everybody's plans do. You think your life's in a mess? How would you like to be Sarah laying in her bed after after Hagar gets pregnant? Thinking, "Oh my, what have I done? This woman tortures me." Have your plans fallen at your feet? It's okay. There's a God in heaven who knows in his power how to bring your life to its greatest purpose right out of the flames and turmoil and rubble that seem to be all you've got left. He knows how to do this. He is the awesome God for whom there are no dead ends. There are no dead ends in the grace of God, sister. It's not over for you. Hagar runs away. She doesn't know God's paying attention. She's just an Egyptian maid who's pregnant now by her master. Run off by the jealousy of Sarah. She doesn't know God's watching over her just like maybe you don't know it. Maybe you feel like Man, God's so far away from my situation. No, he's not. He's right there with you. If you knew the truth, you'd say, with Hagar, you are the God who sees me. Okay, I want you to stop right now. Stop your mind. God sees you. Brother, God sees you right now. He is the God who sees you. He sees you in the context of your life. He sees the situation of your heart. He sees the confusion you're in. He sees you, woman who ran away. You're on to run. God sees you. You haven't hidden from him. You left the church. You left your faith behind. God sees you. Husband, father, God sees you right now. I have a question. Can you see him? Hagar said, I'm going to name this place. He is the God who sees me because I have seen the one who sees me. Now, look, if you could just see God in your heart and mind and soul, make eye contact with the God who sees you, it would change this moment of your life. I think of Peter having so miserably failed and Jesus speaking across the fire to him and saying, Peter, do you love me? Peter won't look at him. I don't think he'll look at him. No, I'm not looking at Jesus. Peter, do you love me? I want to know. It's like Jesus slips his hand under Peter's chin, lifts up his head and says, Peter, Do you love me? Yes, Lord. Would you see the one who sees you? He loves you and his purpose for you is good and his purpose has not failed. I like the question the angel had for Hagar. Where did you come from? Where are you going? Where'd you come from? End up here? Where are you going from here? I have a great suggestion for you. In the journey of your life from A to B, let this be the place you turn aside to see the God who sees you. To pour out your heart to the one who made you for his own purpose. Let's bow together. God, I pray today that you will give us eyes to see. I pray for the one who is lowest, for whom all strength is gone who seems not to know which way to turn. I pray for that person that you brought here this morning in your providence and care that today they will see you. Lord, I pray that you would rescue the perishing, that you would care for the dying in this moment, in this place. Lord, that you would help us know where we've been and where we're going. I pray for the one who needs to trust you today today that you would make this the day of salvation open their heart to you God let this be a day of decision for men and women in this room who need a new walk with you who've gone far enough trying it on their own Lord call them to yourself by your Holy Spirit in Jesus name we pray Amen